Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I'm Youngmi Mayer. I'm the host. Each week I have a guest on to discuss a sad story, and then I try to make them laugh about it and make their butthole hairy. And this week I have a very, very special guest. I'm so excited. I, I would say most of you probably recognize this person from the internet, a very, very popular content creator. And an educator focusing on domestic labor and weaponized incompetence. I feel like she knows so much about it. Is maybe the leader of of this discussion. Everyone, give your ears for Laura Danger. Yeah, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. I, I I know right before we started, I said I learned so much from you every time I see a video, and I'm really excited because you have a book coming out. Yes very soon yes. called no more mediocre that's it yeah very excited yeah, yeah that's it <laughs> very excited to learn way more i can't imagine how much i'm going to learn from that because i've learned so much from just watching your videos on tiktok yeah i'm excited to truly dig into the topic there's so much to it i guess i'm assuming just by the title and you know like all the topics that you discuss a lot it's the focus is on weaponized incompetent incompetence among men. Is it safe <laughs> to say that? It it is. <laughs> I talk a lot about, you know, marital, especially cishet marriages. And I talk about weaponized incompetence in that context because it's the old sitcom trope. Like it is very much present yeah. in men being bumbling fools and women are just going to have to parent them and this very common dynamic. But ultimately it comes down to social issues about invisible labor, mental labor, caregiving labor that is totally erased. So I do talk mm -hmm. a lot about, you know, like the silly sitcom tropes and try to poke fun at bad jokes but it's a bigger context. So it's not totally gendered, although the dynamic is very gendered. So I try to cover it all. Yeah, no, I have to say that you are the first person that I saw, I think, for me, weaponizing competence is a very new phrase. Like I just learned it probably maybe a year or two ago from you, I believe. And after watching your videos, I was just like, like my brain exploded <laughs> i was just like that you know like the emoji i was like Pow! i was like oh my god yes it just like blew me away how deeply rooted this is in our society before i talk about my revelation can you just describe what weaponizing competence in is for some reason i can't pronounce it i keep saying we weaponized incompetence it's close enough weaponized incompetence close enough you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. For the audience, if they don't know what, what that phrase means. Yeah. You know, what's so great about it is the the words, when you put them together, like immediately are, they give you a picture of something. So for me, the biggest time that I saw weaponized incompetence was at work where I, ha I had a colleague who would consistently be like, oh, I don't know how to do that. You're so much better at that. Or would I um, come from a background of teaching? And so I co-taught with other people and then they would not do a good job and then my students would suffer. And so I ended up having to stay late or make up for their mistakes. And so basically mm -hmm. weaponized incompetence is doing a bad job through willful ignorance or just a bad faith effort at something. And then it costs other people either discomfort or overcompensation. And it's this power imbalance that happens where it's like, well, I, I just don't, I don't know how to do laundry. How am I supposed, I have got a penis, <laughs> what? I don't know how that works. Yeah. And it's like this buffoonery. And we have let it be okay in society because we don't expect men specifically to be good at these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, it's been such a normalized thing in our society. And 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try to blow that up. I try to show the jokes that aren't funny mm-hmm. and that brush past the actual costs to it. And there are mm-hmm. people doing great comedy, great family comedy and like relationship comedy. That's yeah. not it though. Those are cheap. That's not it. Yeah. Just like, I just want to give an example of like the jokes that you're talking about. They're jokes like, I think people, I always, I call these like YouTuber jokes, which is probably not fair. (laughs) Like YouTuber dad jokes where they're like, my wife wanted me to do laundry and whoopsie, I put bleach in all of her uh, expensive lingerie and now I don't have to do laundry anymore or whatever, like those kind of jokes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, literally 1995 sitcom jokes. That's totally it. There's and it it absolutely is these hashtag couples comedy, hashtag family friendly, yeah, wifey things. And it's like the wife asks the husband to get up off the couch and do something. And he's like, Oh, you're breaking my balls. And then he goes and he like puts soap in the in the uh, produce and then gets that all gross and he, and she comes in and she's like go ahead and sit down honey I got this and then he winks at the camera yeah. and it's it's like willfully it's it's doing a bad job on purpose and it costing somebody else exactly well can I just say something about that kind of comedy before I, w- I want to talk about I think one of the first videos I saw that you made but that kind of comedy I I did this sometimes you know I try to just make only funny content as a comedian but sometimes like I'm like I have this thing I'm thinking about and I have to say it and I made this video about like a dad that like all of the his uh comedy videos the butt of the comedy videos was making fun of his son who was like eight years old like tiny and I said you know it's like this thing in comedy where you always try to punch up and making fun of your kids among your friends totally chill you know when they're asleep and you're having a glass of wine you know you got to blow off some steam with your friends but like creating a platform online where you have a million followers and you're like constantly ripping into your kid and like like that's just humiliate like you're hu- like publicly humiliating your child and that's like a weird it, it that goes into some weird like not sexual but kinky you know like humiliation oh thing. yeah like where where you're enjoying this hum- humiliating your child who's powerless you know right and i think i think that kind of humor is like on par with that like you're making fun you're punching down you know totally and there's one person I can think of, they have crossed my for you page like six times now with viral videos and it's actual candid videos of his wife, um, like freaking out, being incredibly like raging out at their kids or she is crying because he is going on a camping trip for 10 days, like a hunting trip for 10 days. And she's like throwing stuff around and being like, you don't think about anybody but yourself. And like, really upset and he is laughing and he gets the camera out and films her and then puts it online. And this is actually, I'm writing about this in the book. It's like, Oh, great. It's like what you were saying. It's this humiliation of if she doesn't laugh, she's now participating in the public humiliation of him because Mm -hmm. he's a, that's a bad guy. That's not the way to treat your wife. But he puts it online and he says, see, she's in on the joke. And if she's not in on the joke, then she's hurting him. Like she's entrapped in this space of having to (sighs) laugh. She has no choice. Like be a be a cool wife. Right. Like what are you going to be like a weird, like stuck up wife? Yeah. It's just it's and it's it's so fascinating to me because not only, you know, like the people that you're talking about and the the guy that I'm talking about, they have huge platforms. Yes. So people enjoy watching somebody humiliating their child. And it's like this guy that I was talking about. It's like, um, you know, when you're talking about this other person's wife, she's in a emotionally negative state. His kid is like upset, you know, in front of millions of people. And he's just like, ha ha ha. And then the people who like it are like, yeah, show that kid. You know, and it's like creepy. (laughs) Why do they like that? That's horrible. It's just like weird cycles of abuse, I feel like, you know. Oh, yeah. 
Yikes. Yikes. But I'm glad I've never seen that. No, yeah, it's just, but there's a lot of content creators that are like that. Again, like you said, you also mentioned this. There's like a way of making jokes around having a family and being married. That's completely fine. And it's like a lot of people need to see those funny videos because we want that release. You know, we want to feel like other people are experiencing what we experience. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Oh, I was going to say, okay, so I think one of the first videos that I saw about this topic, and I think you broke it down so well, I don't know if you're going to remember this because it's been a while, but it was like the one where the wife had the uh, shopping list that she would write out for her. Do you remember? (laughs) Yeah. And she like would have to write a shopping list for him every time he went. And she like made it cutesy and arts and crafty. And she put like butterfly stickers. And then she would write the item like butter. And then it'd be like, Aisle three, four, four rows in next to the cottage cheese. Not this one, that one. She would have to put a picture, like a drawing of it. Yes. yes. So he would get the right one. That is one of the most common tropes. I have seen it dozens of times. There are multiple of those couples comedy people who do like sending their husband to the store with a poster board of cut out and stickered on like instructions. And then anytime I have critiqued that, the pushback I get is like, men are visual. Like, don't you know that men are visual? Then fucking look around. I don't like- Then read the label. Learn. Yeah. Go in the kitchen and take a quick scan or take a picture yourself and be like, oh, that's the brand we like. It's so, people are always like, maybe he has ADHD. (laughs) Yes. Be for real, please. (laughs) Please. Well, uh, this is like what blows my mind with uh, with that content. It's like there's so many people that love it. And, oh, yeah. and there's so many women that love making those poster boards and taking an hour to do it while cleaning the poo stains off her 40-year-old husband's underwear. Like people love it. <laughs> it's like, I swear to God, it's like kink territory. Do you know what I mean? They love suffering or something (laughs) yeah that's another thing i think about a lot is why would someone laugh and it's almost like this it's like oh this is my lot in life like this is what marriage is yeah and so my knee jerk is always like oh like this is so annoying and irritating and then it gets real sad Mm -hmm. it's like oh why are you laughing yeah. That's ooh. No. <laughs> yeah. I like I don't want to ju- I feel like if there are people out there that love excess domestic labor, I don't know. <laughs> and like excess emotional la- labor if they really love the caretaking of another adult human being uh, at that level, that's totally fine, but I think one of the things that um you know, when I see work like yours that really inspires me and think makes me think that it's really important is that I, and I'm sure everyone listening to this, have heard so many stories of the woman that was stay-at-home wife, whatever, mom, wife, and, you know, 20 years later, it's like, I'm going to get a divorce because this has been torture mm-hmm. and my life has been ruined and what do I do now? And, you know, we I feel like we hear so many stories of women living like this for so long because they think that they're supposed to. And one day it finally occurs to them that they're like doing so much more work and they're being, you know, abused and they like it dawns on them. So I think Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, part of if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, if that's that's how they want to live, like, who, who are you to say whatever? I agree. It's not my life. But I think part of the reason why I think your work is so important is that for people who've never even uh, been told that maybe you don't have to live like that, I think it's important for them to see your work and be like, oh, my God, I just sort of got conned into it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I I think what I try to get across in my content is like I've been there Mm -hmm. and that's very much the the super mom, super wife, overly accommodating, like I can cool girl. I was always a cool girl. Man, like fuck that. I I'm high maintenance now. Like forget Same. it. Yeah. I don't want to be easygoing. I'm not easygoing. <laughs> 
same. I want what I want. That's the difference. It's like, it's not actually high maintenance to have standards and expect someone to reciprocate. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I've like, I've been there and it took me a while and, you know, it took me a while for me to realize that I was sort of, you know, tricked into thinking that that's the way I was supposed to live. And so I think it's important for people. <sighs> but um, that's so funny. The cool girl thing is such a trap. I think like you were saying, because it's like, it's all about, um, you know, d- come on. Like, it's all about like, if you complain, you look bad. It reminds me of like the boomer thing where boomers are always like, I'm not a victim. Cause like when they were children and they were like being abused, like yeah. by their silent generation parents, like who were like whipping them with a belt. They're like, you're, what are you a victim? You're going to cry like a wussy. And they're like, now they're like, I'm not a victim. I have to work until I'm 95. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, it's such a profound realization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why I'm very excited for your book. Um, and I hope people check out your videos. I wanted to talk about because I, I was like starting to do like this topical conversation thing on the podcast. I want to talk about the Ariana Grande thing. And I think it's going to be great to talk to you about it. Because obviously, we both have this very feminist view. And we're not going to be like homewrecker. Because that's very, you know, wrong and passe to think that but i am very fascinated by all this new news that's coming out that she is she does have this pattern of behavior of like going into (laughs) i know totally i i am probably seeing the same exact video on tiktok where someone was talking about her pattern and my eyes got so wide i had no idea me neither and I do you want to hear my theory about it? Yes. Yes. Okay. I do. So this is my theory, and I think it's not home wrecker. I don't think she is trying to um, ruin any wo- other woman's life. I think it's she's finding people in situations that are very like possibly already they're like it seems like everyone that she like ruins a relationship with. They're like already kind of bad relationships. And my theory is that, you know, like how like rock stars always end up dating like a 14 year old from like Idaho or something like some random child from farm country. And it's like, why do rock stars always date a 14 year old child from a farm? Like, why don't they have access to the most beautiful supermodels in the world or actresses or people that are their caliber? And it's like because like the 14 year old kid from the middle of nowhere is like worships that rock star, you know, like if if they date, mm-hmm. it's like it's such a mind blowing concept that that kid would get to date this rock. Like that's a god to that child, you know, and I'm saying date very loosely here because everyone knows it's not consensual if you're date quote unquote dating right. a 14 year old. But like. But I think that's why rock stars always go for these like, because, you know, like when you're 14, music hits very differently than when you're 27 or whatever. And they like worship these rocks. And I feel like that's what Ariana Grande is doing. You know, she's going for the guy that's life is so bad. Does that make sense? It does. It does. (laughs) Not bad, but, you know. So Ariana Grande's, I'm trying to think, it was Mac Miller... Uh, Pete Davison, this whoever the ha- Dalton, this like <laughs> dude, but he's guy. like a real estate agent from See, Orange County. My theory only works on the last guy she stated. I don't know any anything about anyone else. I feel like this last. Okay, guy, well, yeah. Speaking as somebody, speaking as somebody who has tried very hard to define my value to to seek male validation and get attention, seek control, all of that. Um, I can absolutely see how that power dynamic of like, I'm going to seek a guy. First of all, there's tension. Mm. It's taboo. Yeah. Not supposed to want me, but you do. You can't even, oh, you, you got to get past this barrier of whatever it is. And now you want me like that feels good. Yeah. 
I get it. <laughs> yep. So I think there is that. And all of the guys that she's been with seem very chaotic. Mm. And like, that's fun. Not this guy, though. By the way, my metaphor no. only works for this guy. Well, I, I don't I'm, I'm just <laughs> I've only seen one three pictures of him maybe. And I'm like, this seems like a not chaotic. Per- I don't know. Maybe he is chaotic. I mean, he have you seen the clips of him giggling? He, he's got a chaotic giggle. No. No. Oh, my God. He played SpongeBob. He does the SpongeBob voice. I've never seen him giggling. It's it's a it's a chaotic. Gig. Can you can you just tell the listener? I can't do it. It's he does the SpongeBob giggle like he is. Oh. He does the SpongeBob voice. He yeah. Is he good? Is, does he sound just like SpongeBob? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Oh, that is so chaotic. Do you think he busts that out in the bedroom? He you know, he does. You know, yes, you. it's got to like linger in the back there. He can't even fight it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Tell me more of your theory. I got to hear about this. I think, what do you think? I think is it's going a on? new theory, and I feel like I haven't really solidified it, but I feel like there's something there where somebody is like, in a relationship you know i base this on this one guy not i don't know anything else about mac miller or like even pete david but i think even pete davidson was in like a three-year relation you know when you're in a relationship for like three years and you're like kind of like i'm kind of bored and this guy just had a baby you know like when you first have a baby and you're like i hate my fucking i hate my domestic situation i want to get out like you know I mean, not everybody, yeah. but for me, you know, I was just like, this is rough. That's a rough time. Imagine mm-hmm. if during that time, you're like the Idaho farm girl, you know, like imagine right when you had a baby and ev- and your marriage is kind of like rocky and everything's hard, like the most powerful celebrity in the world walks through your doors and it's like, do you want to kiss on the lips? You're like, yes. You know, that's yeah, a I dream yeah. come true take me away <laughs> you know like that that's that's kind of what i meant by that oh yeah yeah it was cassie david right yes the cassie david was pete davison's who's a great writer a hundred percent person yes a hundred percent and like man the uh someone else i follow was talking about the pr for his this new guy yeah his ex now uh-huh, i guess uh-huh. who has just like gone hard on it and is she thinks that his wife is trying to blame ariana and be like he is just a silly guy silly goofy guy in a rough patch and like kind of like what you're saying but i don't think you're actually like placing blame anywhere yeah but the wife is trying to be like uh he giving him room to possibly come back no like the way she's spinning i don't agree with that no what do you think's going on no i think i think you're right i think she is doing maybe there's a touch of like misogyny there where it's just like she's a She's a witch. She's mm-hmm. bewitched him. I, that's BS. That is a horrible oh, man. Yeah. That is the worst kind of man. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This is my this is my thing, by the way. If I smell any sort of this on a man, I break up with that. Like this sort of like uh, uh, d- loyalty thing where they're just like, mm, I'm just here until something better comes along. That kind of shit. I can smell that from a mile away. I will not put up with it. And that's the worst kind of man. You don't want that kind of man. Don't take him back. I really hope she doesn't take him back. I would hope so, too. And what extra sucks is that they've been together since high school. Oh, she's going to take him back. This this is horrible. It's his fault. It's not her. It, Ariana Grande, whatever. No. She's just out here living her Consenting fucking adults. life. Yeah, it's, it's both their faults. But, like, he sucks. He really sucks. Sorry, mm-hmm. there's no coming back. Please don't take him back if you're. She's not listening to this, but you know. <laughs> Someone send this to her, please. I really hope she does. I yeah, it's a whole mess. It's a mess. It's it's very interesting to see, but yeah, I mean, I felt the same way about Pete Davison, where it was like, wait, because he was early in his career, he hadn't even made 
I mean, people in SNL first season don't make that much money. He like wasn't big time and was suddenly with Ariana Grande. So that was weird. He, if anything, he did it right because that catapulted him into stardom. And then he, he just like went, you know, whatever. You know, if if people are if people are like using celebrities transactionally, like then own it and do it. Ride that wave till Kim Kardashian. You know, good for good for him. Whatever. There you go. He, he's who he is <laughs> unapologetically. But like the SpongeBob guy, this is it for him. You know. Yeah. So he. Yes. Yeah, he's gonna probably go crawling back. Oh, this is horrible. This is sad. And this also highlights um, the the unfairness of the whole homewrecker trope, because oh, yeah. people don't recognize that the men have a hundred times more to do with it. Because I, I don't even think if you're single and you're messing with someone that's married, that's not even really your fault. That's the married person's fault. They're the ones who said the vows in front of a fucking priest or whatever. You know, you're just being you're just being chaotic and you're single. You get to do whatever you want. Right. If if you're not necessarily responsible for maintaining a relationship. No, but that guy sucks. He messed up. His wife should not take him back. I mean, who cares? That's not my life, but you can't trust him. Oh, no, absolutely not. In your moment of need, he he wasn't there. Thank you, next. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. She needs to remember. She needs to listen to that song, Thank You, Next, by Ariana Grande. Take her advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I just feel like, you know, just... I think that there's, like, this unfair blame placed on women who are involved in infidelity, and I think we just need to focus and on the men on this one. So that's all I'm going to say. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Totally with you. Don't ever take him back. If your husband leaves you for Ariana Grande, do not take him back is my advice. <laughs> um, I think it's good advice. <laughs> do you, okay. So as you know, on the podcast, I ask everyone to bring a sad story and then we try to laugh about it. And I feel like this is a good place for me to ask, what is your sad story? This was really hard. Maybe I don't think there's anything wrong with me, but I have a really hard time staying sad. Mm. So it's not that to other people. It's very sad. I have to not tell this story often because I feel uncomfortable about it um, for other people's sake. But okay. So here's my sad story. I have, I said I was a teacher of a background in education. And when I, I transferred districts, maybe how many years, five years ago now. And I went to get an ID for the first day for the week that it was professional development week. And then the school started the next week. I had to get my ID and in the picture, you get one shot. That picture was me having a miscarriage (gasps) Like I had to smile through a, I get the ID. It is forever. If I ever go back to that district, I left, but like you get one ID and then it follows you for 35 years if you're in that district Mm. forever. And I, so the, the forever ID picture is happened while I was having a miscarriage. And so for the years I was teaching, every time I like beeped in, in the morning with my badge, I had to be reminded of the miscarriage I had. So that's the miscarriage that I had the first week of the last mm-hmm. job I had, I guess would be my sad story. Wait. So in the picture, what is your expression? You're smiling. Oh yeah. It's totally like just your, your basic standard headshot. Right. I feel like you would have no idea. I mean, this, I feel like it's so <laughs> on the nose of like all the, stuff that you talk about that women have to deal with it's like yeah because you know even when you're having a miscarriage you have to go to work and get your head shot and smile mm-hmm. yeah it was wow a very so that was my I have two children 
And I had had a miscarriage before my first, and then I had a, that miscarriage with the, the picture. And then I got pregnant and had my second kid. Mm. But I was, I want to say it was maybe six weeks along. So it's relatively early in the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And it was, I had taught at a Catholic school for six years mm. and was transferring to a district where it was like, it was closer to home. It was a really good job. It was going to be kind of life-changing for us. And I was excited because I had gotten pregnant and I was like, oh, we're going to have this second kid. And oh, it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And I started, I had had a, a miscarriage previously. And so I kind of knew what was going on and he started spotting mm-hmm. and there was all this chaos of like, they need to onboard me. It's a huge district. So I needed to get tons of paperwork. I had to go into the main office, uh, district office and wait for like maybe two and a half hours mm. to get this picture. And if I missed it, I was going to have to come back the next day and not be paid for work. Right. So I was like, you have to sitting there. I start texting and I'm like to my husband, I'm like, I'm bleeding and I'm sitting in the office. I keep getting up to go to the bathroom, trying Mm -hmm. not to miss them calling my name. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't have a pad. I'm just like starting to bleed Mm -hmm. and just like, can they fucking take this picture? Please take this picture. Let me get out of here. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I put a pad on and I went to work Mm -hmm. because I had to. Yeah. Thanks, America. That's the, I mean, that's just like the life of women, you know, like you. And it's just like all these little things. It always makes me feel like whenever I get, you know, obviously a miscarriage is way different. But whenever you get your period and you're in public, I'm like, why isn't there pads in the bathroom like is that just are we we're half of the population and this happens you know like like why has that never crossed anyone's mind because of course we could never ask for that that would be ridiculous if we we expected that you know like um but we can i ask you something i you just said in the beginning you said that it's hard for you to be sad about it or stay sad about it what did you mean by I feel like I talk to, I, you know, the work that I do is in the realm of parenthood and because of that motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I work with a lot of women and a lot of women who have had experiences with miscarriage. I don't feel incredibly emotionally attached to the experience Mm -hmm. and maybe it was because of how I coped. Like I it's science, it's body. It's like, yeah, there are anomalies all over the place. It was a very, it was very stressful trying to get pregnant and like being pregnant post miscarriage is very stressful. Mm-hmm. So you're just mm-hmm. like waiting for it to end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the experience itself makes me maybe more mad. I like, it pisses me off. It makes me really mad instead of like, I I don't think there's a lot of grief around it. It's more like grief around living in a country where like, God forbid, if I ever got pregnant again, would never have another child. Yeah. Like, no freaking way. Uh-huh. But I, it, I think that I come off as unfeeling mm-hmm. when I am so upfront and like open about it. Yeah. Because a lot of people feel very, very sad. Um, it's a heavy thing. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say that because I feel the same way. And I know that I think that there is this idea in the media and even like not just, you know, like nonfiction stories of people having miscarriages, but like in fictional depictions of somebody going through that, it's like, oh, and and she's going to kill herself. And so, and it's like, and I know that there are people that feel that way. Um, but I don't either, you know, I, I don't know if I've had a miscarriage to my knowledge, but I've had an abortion and I was like, well, I don't give a shit, you know, like, <laughs> and it's like, you can't even say that. Cause they're like expecting you to no. be like, I can't handle it. Like, and it's like, some people don't react like that. And right. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where I feel like, you know, in Korea, cause I'm from Korea, <laughs> um, at funerals people 
culturally are expected to like wail in this very intense way. And so everyone in Korea and the funeral is like, like just like, and it's like, why is it that everybody is doing this? Because, you know, like it's like a cultural expectation of an emotional release. And I think Mm. a lot of times in this culture, women who have miscarriages are expected to act a certain way. So I think for a lot of people, they might not even be that sad, but they're like, because it's like, that's what they do in the movies. And this is when you're supposed to do this. And right. And I think, I mean, not, not to say everyone that's sad about their miscarriage is being performative. I know that some people naturally react like that, but then I'm kind of like, if you're somebody that doesn't act like that, it almost feels like, people are like suspicious or something and totally yeah and i yeah i you make a good point about where the sadness is placed like even the funeral like i have been to funerals and the act of like burial and stuff like that doesn't make me sad it's the moments of like oh i wish i could call that person or yep and and for me maybe I feel this way because I did end up getting pregnant, having a child. And so like for a lot of people, miscarriage is a loss of hope or Mm -hmm. it like causes a lot of anxiety. That was the hardest part for me because if I didn't get pregnant again, based on thanks fucking America, I knew that I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have a maternity leave because of my job. And yeah, so I had to get pregnant again within the next eight weeks, which is two cycles Mm. or my husband and I probably wouldn't have another child. Wow. So it was like, do, uh, you know, I imagined having two children. I imagined they would be a certain age apart. All of these hopes, that was the sad part. And Mm -hmm. so that's where the grief is. But in a movie, it would be like me crying and, over the toilet right. or something. Yeah. I was like sad and freaked That's out fascinating. and frustrated that I couldn't take a break and I had to go to work. But that was yeah. not the grief of like the experience itself. It was all the other stuff. Yeah. So the sadness and the grief came out like, you know, weeks later during the anxiety of trying to get pregnant again and trying to have your dream of having another child fit in this very restrictive, horrible healthcare system. Mm hmm. Yeah. And see, like, exactly. Like, people are like, well, no, you're supposed to cry and lose your mind on the toilet, you know, with bloody panties, right. you know, and run up, scream running down the hall or you know, whatever. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. So I, I just wanted to say that because when you said that, I kind of felt that you were feeling this sort of like, oh, I know a lot of people get very sad about this and I'm not sad. So I want to be careful. Yeah. Because that's how I feel when I talk about my abortion. You know, every time you see an abortion on in a movie, it's like, I can't do it. Yeah. And it's the trope where they're like laying down on the oh, right. whatever with the, with the legs up in the thing. And I can't. <laughs> like last minute. If I got um, pregnant again, I would be crying because I would be. I w- that is the last thing I want ever. Like that, I would be like, oh no, now I need to deal with this. But it would not be the like abortion part. It would be the like, oh fuck, like the panic. That's what I would feel. I'm certain of it. Yeah. No, I, I, same. (laughs) It would be more of a loss to have a child for our family. That's what it would be. I don't, I don't even know what emotions I would feel if I had a baby. Oh my God, your cat. I have a. I have a very uh, friendly cat too. I'm I'm surprised he's not like doing what your cat's doing, but um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I really like your story because oh, I like your story because it touches on all the all the things that you speak on a lot. You know, it touches on the fact that women are told that you know our value in this life you know in this society is having children being a wife while um being forced to live in the system that like makes all of that very fucking hard Mm -hmm. pretty much impossible it's like you have to do this you have to reproduce while not getting paid for it there's not going to be any fucking pads in any bathroom ever so why don't you bring them with you 
Uh, why didn't you think of bringing right. your own pads when you're pregnant? You know, like everything is set up against us. We're supposed to do all of the work. And then if we don't do it, we're judged for it, you know? And then it's like, it just, and then, and then on top of that, you're supposed to cry really hard. Why aren't you crying? Right. Aren't you sad? Why aren't you reacting it's a the lifetime way movie. you're supposed to react? And like, yeah. I will also say, I have a lot of friends who are dealing with infertility or issues like that. And my yeah. husband at the time, like didn't really, I had support. I had friends that I would talk to about it. And part of that with these like high expectations that women are supposed to care. Also at the same time, my husband was when the first miscarriage where I actually did go to the ER, they were so mm -hmm. cold to him mm. as if he would have mm. no reaction at all. And it was like mm. really bizarre that they that that expectation is so different compared to how people are always like, I'm so sorry about that to me. And I'm like, mm, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. I mean, it happens. Like it's actually super duper yeah. common. Mm -hmm. And then to your husband, they're like, why are you here? Oh yeah. Go, go bowl and go have a beer. <laughs> Let the women be sad in our period hut or something. Why are you sad? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. What are you crying about? Yeah, that's so. And and like I'm I'm assuming that your husband had a huge reaction because that's like that's. I mean, I don't I don't know, but like, why wouldn't your husband have a big reaction? Like they had the same hopes and dreams and stuff that you did mm -hmm. that women do, men right? It, yeah, that's like so weird. The whole the whole the whole expectation thing is so so weird. Oh yeah, and okay, so I. <laughs> When I did have uh, my second kid, we did end up getting pregnant, like pretty near that within the next eight weeks, mm -hmm. thankfully. But then I got fucking laid off five days into my maternity, like parental leave. It was my, I used my sick days. I got laid off five yeah. days in. <laughs> wow. So it was just like <sighs> the whole thing. I think that's why I am not even that sad. I'm just so pissed off about like you said like you should have a baby you should be maternal and then it's so hostile to have a family yep yeah well it's like part of i think that's part of the whole it reminds me of like the cool girl thing it's like a it's like a trap you know it's like you gotta do this we're gonna trap you into this like uh crappy uh existence and then they try to tr i think they trick i mean i feel like once you see it you see all the parts of it, you know, because then you hear these like misogynistic men being like, you don't want to be a 32 year old single woman. Oh, my God. No one's going to want to marry you. And then I've, I mean, I don't I don't know how old you are, but like me, I'm like 38. And now I'm like, oh, that was all bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like nobody, nobody actually thinks that way. But when I, when you're like 20 years old, you're like clocks ticking. I got to got to pin a man down now. Like all the stuff, even that framing um, of like no one will want you it's it's oh it makes me so mad i know what if i want me and also what if i want to create exactly. a life for myself ah yeah it's like now i'm on the other side of it i'm like yeah i that was the the least of my worries if no man wants you you are blessed <laughs> You have a you have an easy <laughs> life ahead of you of drinking mimosas and going to Paris. Uh -huh. That's well, you know what I love the statistic that you brought up in uh, a recent video. I I think I've actually been thinking about this all the time. You know, the uh statistic was when a couple like a heterosexual couple gets together or moves in with each other or gets married, I married, think. Married, yeah. The the man gets one less hour of domestic labor and the woman gets seven extra hours. Can you, can you explain that statistic? Cause you, you did such a great job in your video. Yeah. So it's super interesting. It's data from like 2005. Um, so this is without mm -hmm. children. This is couples without children mm -hmm. who get married. And yeah. so one aspect of that, and I fell into this trap personally is the expectations of a woman compared to a mm -hmm. wife are totally different. And so one aspect of it is 
you know, I'm fine eating a handful of nuts or like, a, I don't know, a freaking pickle. Like I'll just throw together yeah. a balanced enough meal and it doesn't have to be complete, but it gets the job done. But when I have a this husband, was a video about girl dinner, right? Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. Yes. Yeah. It was an, it was a video about girl dinner. So when you end up getting married to a man, there's this expectation that you do like wifey things and you keep a house mm-hmm. a certain way. You are maintaining a certain kind of life and that all gets elevated. The mm-hmm. other piece of it, in my opinion, is that men are often taught to be helpers. And so they don't learn about how to be efficient and move around the house and pick up a thing and put it in the other room and move as if they are in charge of Mm. responsibility. They make more mess. And then they end up having a woman who is now not working as efficiently, having to deal with another uh, adult child a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a huge expanse of workload. It's like twice. Ugh, it's horrible. That's that's my opinion on it. The data was not. I don't know. There's other data on it. But what do you think is going on? Well, I think the point that you made the girl dinner point was really spot on because obviously, yeah, like when it, when I'm just by myself, I'm like I'm gonna eat a a block of tofu and this baguette from three days ago like whatever (laughs) but but yeah there's this expectation um when you have a like a male spouse that you are gonna make a dinner a roast chicken Mm -hmm. and 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 there's gonna be you know uh i don't know i feel like you have to like snap into this like weird 1950s I'm going to arrange the living room and right. flowers and vases and whatever. Um, I think there is that gets amped up. Um, and I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, along the lines of the comedy videos where they're like, I fucked up the laundry. And then my wife, like, doesn't tell me to do it anymore. I think there's a lot of time fixing the stuff yes. that the your partner messed up, maybe on purpose. Um, but yeah, that is like such a fascinating statistic. Yeah. And I feel like, you know what? Yeah. Sorry. It's just, there's so much invisible labor that happens. And Mm -hmm. another thing that's interesting is like a lot of this data is self-reported surveys. And Mm. so it's really interesting to think about what people define as certain things, which part is mental labor, like just even responsibilities the amount of money I spend now compared to when I was like 20 Mm -hmm. is where does it even go? Like, where Mm -hmm. does my time go? I feel like Mm -hmm. there's like signing up for papers and sorting through documents, like things that just, Mm -hmm. I never would have thought of. And Mm -hmm. I think that that invisible labor falls to women and even doesn't matter who's raising a son, but a lot of times that Mm -hmm. that invisible stuff doesn't get delivered they don't even see mm-hmm. it. They don't realize that it has to be done. So there's this yeah. like shift that happens when a man and a woman move in together. And a lot of that responsibility and delegation falls to a woman. Yeah. And a lot of stuff that like the man might not be doing, the woman like is like, oh, you know, I'm going to like, I'm going to schedule you a dental appointment because <laughs> you haven't gone in five years. Yes. You, things like that. Yes. And it's coming, and the man's like, "What do you mean?" And she's like, "You have to go to the dentist every six months, bro." Yep. And then, and so that's like getting calculated into the seven extra hours. Um, it's so it's like so fascinating. You know, I was gonna say after watching your videos, the, this is what I was gonna say in the beginning. And I totally like forgot. The mind blowing thing was when you know when I learned about that phrase. I started just seeing it in like everywhere, you know, and I know emotional labor has been this. Uh, I've heard about that for a few years now, so I, I'm aware of it. But like just like going on dates now, you know, and I'm like, damn, I'm fucking putting in so much more work, you know, like trying to smooth things out, trying to make 
this a smooth conversation. Oh my God, he just said something fucking weird. Now I have to like, ha, 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 ha. Like, you know, like, and I'm doing so much work and this person does not realize. Um, But I think once the, like, the incompetence thing like happened, I was just like, oh my God, this is like, it's so much. And there's no like, uh, I don't know, there's like no answer to it. It's like, it's almost like, how can you tell women just stop doing that, you know, or it's so rooted. It's so rooted in not seeing certain work as work or even like it being feminized. I swear Mm -hmm. to So I have had conversations, so many conversations with men at work and in close relationships where they will literally say, oh, that's just how it happens. Like that just, yeah, that's just what gets done or being Mm -hmm. like, Hey, I have to facilitate this conversation. I, I work with couples on, you know, divvying out domestic labor, like as a day job. Mm -hmm. And so someone will be like, oh yeah, that just gets booked that. Well, like, it's not a big deal to invite me to these conversations. It's like, who do you think is doing for an hour and a half, trying to figure out how not to Mm -hmm. hurt your feelings, to bring this conversation up, to pad your fragile masculinity. All of that takes effort. I don't know what I would do if I was single. I don't know if I would ever be able to sit down across from a man and take him seriously. (laughs) No, it's, it's rough. It's rough out on these streets. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Laura. Um, but you know what? Also I was gonna, I was just like thinking this too. I always like to think about like this sort of like feminist stuff and like the patriarchy and stuff as like the parts of it that really hurt men. Um, you don't think you hear the classic tropes, right? All, all stem from this. Like you hear about men being like, Oh, my wife is nagging me to do. It's like, she's not nagging you. She's just like, confused as why you don't just do stuff Mm -hmm. on your own and now she's like hey can you put the milk back in the refrigerator yeah because you just left it on the counter like it's gonna go rotten and he's like whoa she's nagging me i was like no i think the problem is you were just supposed to put the milk back in the fridge like i wasn't even supposed to tell you that right you know and it's like it's just like yeah the fact that you're skirting through this world like that and you think people are attacking you you know what i mean and like nagging at you it's just it's so it's so interesting (sighs) (laughs) that's the real sad story right there is how incredibly normalized that is and absolutely it's like the the feeling of being nagged when really it's Hey, I would like you to join me in creating this life. That would be so cool if you wanted to do this with me. They're like, get off my fucking back, Cheryl. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta go. Cheryl's being a real bitch again. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) I have to say though, yeah, I know. I I hope like men aren't listening to this getting mad. No, they're not. But like, I, I have to say, I know you said this up top. This is not just a man in a heterosexual relationship thing. I have to, I have my own story of incompetence. I can't say it. Um, weaponizing competence. When I was like younger, you know, when I started in the workforce as a young person, I was like scared. I, I was like really scared to like make people mad at work. So I would just be like, I think because of like anxiety that I would fuck up. I could not do anything i was so and it wasn't that i was stupid i wasn't like a dumb and i think a lot of young women have this like oh they're dumb sort of thing and it wasn't that i was stupid i was just terrified of everyone yelling at me so i'd be like how do i work the printer and they'd be like god she's an idiot and like today i like Sometimes I swear, like, I would be, like, I would work, start working somewhere, and I would be like, how do I open the door? Like, I would get so nervous that I wouldn't know how to, like, open a door, and my coworkers would be like, she's so stupid. (laughs) But it was just, like, I was so insecure and scared of everything, you know? And, like, now I can open doors with ease, any door I encounter. I think that's a good point, though, and actually I hear that from men too, like that I work with is it's, it's almost better or more socially acceptable to be bad at these things than 
to be, or it's, it's better to be dumb (laughs) at these things than be bad at them. Or like Mm. it's, it is kind of a coping mechanism sometimes to just play dumb or get somebody to explain it to you or just be like, I'm a guy. Yeah. What silly guys, instead of like actually do the work of communicating about this. And so like, I get it. It's not an excuse though. It's not an excuse. Also, that's like, you know, I'm talking about me when I was like a, a kid, <laughs> like the first job, a real job I had. And I was like, there was like adults around me. Yeah. I'm not talking about like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it gets, it gets tired real fast. I feel like after like a few months, people were like, can you, you're fired. Like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to like use printers, I guess, whatever. <laughs> um, but no, I I don't I totally get that. It's like this like you have a safety net if you act dumb, mm-hmm. you know? And then I think but I think as a woman it also got old really fast cuz people think thought that I was dumb anyway and then they and then I had to be like, "Oh, I have to act not dumb." Mm-hmm. Now it's getting abusive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, that's like such an interesting conversation. Anyway, I think that was like a that's all the stuff that I wanted to discuss. Do you have, do you want to leave the listeners with anything, any advice? (gasps) What about advice for people dealing, not to put you on the spot, if they're dealing with this in a relationship, man, wife or husband, Mm -hmm. we're not just saying it's the husbands. Somebody in your relationship is uh, doing weaponizing competence. What's some advice? I would say ultimately boundaries you can control yourself and you can be direct about it and i think that a trap we get into is just making assumptions and settling or resigning yourself like we said like these tropes about where it's like this is just how it is just challenging Mm -hmm. that belief in yourself and investing in like hey if this is a pattern you know what you don't know how to do the laundry great let's learn and like kind of challenging it being like, you really don't think you can do this. Let's let's book a time and we will figure it out because I am out and you can control your own mm-hmm. boundaries about it. Hmm. That's interesting. That's like, well, you know, like for me, I'm, I'm thinking, what if you did that to your partner that because I think it's like obviously we all know that they know how to do the laundry, mm-hmm. right? They just don't want to do it. It's risky, and that's the other thing is when you risk, you risk them either showing they show their cards if they're unwilling or mm-hmm. uninterested in joining you. You have to be ready to be okay or figure out what to do when they say, "I don't give a shit. I'm still not going to do it." Wow. What are you going to do now? <sighs> so be forewarned. You know, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it's all like, you know, when people, I think that these problems, especially in long-term marriages, are like the problems that lead people to whatever, divorce or going to counseling and stuff. And people are like, oh, what you're going to get divorced over the laundry? But it, it all boils down to like the psychology. It's mm-hmm. not the laundry. It's the fact that this person is purposely not wanting to do something and making you do it. Like that, that has way more gravity to it than, oh, you're not going to just do, you, you want me to do the laundry, you know? Absolutely. <sighs> that's so fascinating. Well, that's such good advice. And I want to say, if anyone's feeling, you know, hopeless, my mom actually said that to my dad after I left, like after I moved out. My mom has been doing the laundry all all my life in her marriage to my dad and when i visited them you know after i moved out my dad was doing his own laundry and she was like you know i have not gotten him to do our laundry like how i was doing for 30 years but he's doing his own laundry and he'll wash it and fold it and i was like i that's fair i guess i mean you have 20 years of doing his laundry he could do your laundry baby steps mm-hmm. if yeah and then he, it's all about challenging yeah. that that it doesn't have to be the way it is you can change yeah so maybe they won't do all the laundry but they'll they maybe will do their own laundry 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you on social media? You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at that darn chat. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for being here. That was such a great conversation. You can follow the podcast at Harry Butthole Podcast on Instagram or me at YM Mayor on Instagram or Young Me Mayor on TikTok. Bye.